in your eyes, little one. Where do you go to dream? To a place we all know, the land of make. Borak Song Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 76th episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast where two Americans try to make sense the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD one month of progs at a time this episode we're covering 2000 AD featuring Judge Dredd for January 1982 oh man we're in a new year oh yeah progs 245 to 249 new year not just for the progs uh, but also for us we're doing this this one's coming out January 1st 2018 the distant future happy new year you you dingus and let's do some celebratory confetti poppers there's definitely a lot of things that would come out in 1982 where if you set them in 2018 you'd have to like have spaceships and shit going on oh man (laughs) you don't have flying cars or jetpacks or nothing this sucks man you don't want to deal with the traffic control of having to uh, file a flight plan for your flying car every time you go out um (laughs) <laughs> That's what computers are for, right? Just computers. Yeah, okay. This week, Ace Garp loses his ship. Torquemada gets lost in space. Rogue Trooper goes high tech. The Slayers go to Redding. And the goddamn solve block strike. Oh, man. It, it just can't wait for us to talk about some Judge Dredd. There's a lot of stuff. But first, you know, we, we got some ups and downs this month, Fox. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> oh, I miss having a bad time. There's some high highs, there's some low lows, you know. I let's, feel let's. like we got some seasoning. Let's get it started, though, with what I think is is, a nor- is usually a high, with Thrill One Ace Trucking. <laughs> Script robot for Ace Trucking, John Wagner and Alan Grant is Grant Grover, art robot Massimo Belladonelli, letter robot Steve Potter. Okay, go ahead, Fox, sorry. Um, oh, no worries, man. We're at... Oh, God, we're under attack, and we got to run. That's right. All this episode, I'm going to try to get, just give some backstory just for these uh, stories and what's been going on with them. Uh, Ace Trucking is the only story that's not start is the only thrill that's not starting a fresh storyline. This episode, uh, it's the story of sci-fi alien truckers Ace Garp, a pointy-headed alien who speaks entirely in modified CB radio code, um, and his crew. GBH, a giant semi-dead barbarian, and Feek, the, she- the ship's engineer, who's this kind of skeleton guy, who <laughs> jumps around and gets all weird at people. <laughs> and uh, apparently is, in- is based on uh, a statue of Mictanalucci, the, Az- the Aztec god of the dead. Uh, shout out to... A uh, friend of the show, Steve Green, for telling me this. Yeah, man, there's like this one statue of this uh, Aztec god, and it, it literally just looks like Feek. Like, it's real like obvious. bowler hat and everything? Or? Well, not bowler hat, but he's wearing kind of a pope <laughs> hat. But other than that, and Feek has worn a pope hat in the past, so it's sort of, it's a, you, you it, it's, it's, it, it's blatant, but it's fine. Not the first time this sort of thing has happened. <laughs> oh, God. You're weird, 2000 AD. The F. Listen, man, they got to put out like five stories a week. They got to find their inspiration where they can. <laughs> Fair. Anyhow, these guys, plus the ship's computer ghosts, are usually footloose and fancy free goods transporters trying to make a quick buck. But now they're under attack by lugjackers. These guys come in, guns a blazing. They want yeah. your rig. 
Totally. They've been outgunned by these lugjackers, so they're on the run through the ship. They're looking for smarter ways to fight off the invaders. They have the ship's cleaning robots attack the lugjackers. Uh, they, le- they have an ambush in the ship's freezer and stuff. But, man, there's still way too many dudes coming after them. Yeah, they, it is like just an impressive amount of like people with ricocheting bullets everywhere. Absolutely. So uh, Ace finally gets the bright idea to hide in the ship's garbage compartment. It's worked in other famous space science fiction movies. <laughs> right, and he's a guy who has like a kind of look to him that might be not completely his own. Whoa. But instead of trying to crush them in the hold, instead the lugjackers just take control of the ship's computer and they pull the lever, ejecting the garbage pod out into space. Which really, I mean, that's not eco-friendly. But I guess, you know, these guys don't care. I mean, you don't gotta worry about littering space, dude. It's <laughs> You know, if we all do it, Conrad. Listen, I'm just saying that, you know, there's not a big deal, man. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, how would that planet in uh, in Thor Ragnarok even exist if people weren't dumping trash into space? Man, at least they were doing it with portals. That was pretty smart. They end up in portals because of the natural thing. Like, you know, instead of a big gyre, a <laughs> mile-wide gyre of garbage in the Pacific, like in, in, in on Earth, it just ends up in a big, you know, space portal to Jeff Goldblum's planet. It's good times. I, I, I love that. They just get caught in a, a portal somewhere because it's always raining garbage. Anyway. Yeah. So they're in Anyhow, the garbage. Floating through open space in the ejected garbage pod, air's running low for the Ace trucking team. Ace's GBH entered into a suspended animation state that apparently his people are capable of, and is the situation that Ace found GBH in in a tantalizing hint of backstory for this uh, uh, throw. Right, he was on like a cool wooden thing. He was laying down. Yeah, there's a big question mark over Garb's head. He's like, "Oh, what's all this business?" And then just immediately back to now. Which hey, later, you know, I guess. Yeah, uh, they're, they're they're teasing it out like uh, Westworld or whatever. But um, <laughs> <laughs> love it. So he uh, he also has feek fashion a radio out of random junk. It doesn't seem to be working, and things go from bad to worse as the pod is attacked by scavies. We know scavies. That's the one. Uh, they're these big angry. Well, I'm trying to pronounce it right because we know from a title that's coming up on a cover that that the name rhymes oh. with gravy, right? So oh yeah yeah that's smarty. Yeah, do my best. Yeah, they're these big, angry garbage gargoyles, not un-nemesis-looking <laughs> fox, not not t- dissimilar from Nemesis. And yeah, they just they just flip the fins uh, vertical yeah. instead of horizontal. Weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that the first time around. <laughs> Suddenly, they're dragging the pod down onto the surface of a nearby low-gravity planet. Uh, Ace quickly wakes up GBH and the flowing-haired giants able to fight off the beasts. But man, there's just a whole bunch of them flying in off the, from the horizon. Man, they're going to come and get you. What are we going to do about it? I mean, just beat them up, I guess. Ace kicks the crap out of, kind of- out of scavies. Yeah. <laughs> Until they, even as they like drop rocks and try to like run off with feek and stuff, eventually they oh, manage to escape. Oh. GBH punches a thrown rock that's just like hurled at him. He just like winds up and then punches it into a bunch of pieces. It's, great. it's pretty awesome, buddy. Um, yes, they eventually they uh, scare off the gargoyles, and it's time to get to work. They cobble together a uh, makeshift spaceship out of random debris until they're able to blast off, taking advantage of the plant's light atmosphere. 
Oh, yeah, they make, like, a a shit spaceship. Yeah, exactly, a real crap rocket. In space, they manage to (laughs) make contact with another ship, the Yellow Snork, run by known asshole Jago Kane. Confirmed for asshole. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kane picks up Ace and Company, laughs his butt off when he learns that they were lugjacked, and he drops him off on the planet Aro, and now it's time to figure out what to do next. It's funny, he's also doing a... One of those ice runs. Yeah. No, it seems like it's big money on this desert planet just to bring giant ice icebergs out there for them to melt down. Yeah, smart so, stuff. Yeah. First off, the boys go to the Galactic Police Station where we learn that the Lugjackers are led by this guy named Nosepatch Morgul, a wanted criminal. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, he, he's probably already flipped the Speedo Ghost and the cops don't have the resources to hunt him down. It's a, it's a situation that's very similar, like that part in the Big Lebowski where he, they ask, like, if he has any leads and they're like, yeah, we don't, yeah, we're working in shifts, you know. <laughs> Um, but it's even so more good. so for Ace, for Ace Garp, who, like, you know, squabbles with these highway patrol guys constantly in the course of his regular job, you know? Yeah. It's like it's like Burt Reynolds asking Jackie Gleason to help him find his find his car. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I, Although, I like you, bro. Alternately, it's like a really fun episode of Dukes of Hazard where Roscoe and the uh, Dukes team up to like take down some out of town guy or something like that. Yeah, because they stole the car. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> they go to drown their sorrows. At the local Lugsters Union, where uh, Jago and his buddies laugh at them, and they meet up Still. with Fatty Arks, a fellow Which lugger. Is awesome. He's Fatty Arx. Is he a robot, or is he like a alien He's like a guy? Cyborg, weird alien man. All these aliens have a lot going on. Nobody's just one thing, you know. Yeah, God, Bella Donnelly, you're so good at making me like a guy. He's so good at just drawing weirdos, man. <laughs> just a weird marble with legs, and he's yeah. like, "Why don't you get on my spaceship?" Except for you, Garp, because yeah, I don't need you. Yeah, he tries to hire on GBH and Feek to this new ship that he's bought, but they don't want to leave Ace. Fatty then complains about an infestation of UG bugs in his new ship, and that sets mm. the boys off because the Speedo bug, the Speedo ghost, I should say, was full of UG bugs in a pre- last episode because we learned that Feek was breeding them so he could eat them because he's a gross skeleton man. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. They go to investigate, and the ship is in fact the Speedo. And renamed the Old Pert. Yeah. They quickly uh, regain control of the ship. And along with Fatty, they head to Honest Eki's Lug Mart to get this sorted out. The ship, de- the ship dealer quickly refunds Fatty, which makes Ace suspicious because just the, how qu- the minimal amount of physical threats GBH had to do on him to get him to give <laughs> to give Fatty his money back. Dude. So he decides. So they decide to hang around the station to see if those jackers come back, and if they do, give them what for. So they got to do some Scooby-Doo mystery solving. That's and right. man, oh man, is it great with the trash cans and such. Ace's patience pays off as we see the Lugjackers show up to drop off more ill-gotten spaceships. Uh, from, yeah, from their trash can hiding places, Ace and GBH spring into action. Like, literally, they, like, uh, jam their legs out the bottom of their trash cans and run off to the Speedo Ghost. Well, some alien onlooker is like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, he's like a janitor, like, oh man, the trash cans are robots again. Um, <laughs> as Ace once again sings a terrifying CB radio country song, they follow the Jackers to the remote planet of Y7Y. 
where they see that the Jackers are hiding in a base disguised as a crater. It's it's too fortified to just fly back, just fly in and attack Fox, but Ace wants his revenge. So, <sighs> it's only one bad thing. Bad ideas ensue. Yeah, so, apropos of nothing, let's head back to that giant iceberg that they that we were hauling last episode. And now that we got it, and this incidentally gives us a chance to see GVH's awesome space helmet, which is basically oh, yeah. this giant, like, hourglass-shaped um, dome of glass that just allows his uh, hair to flow freely while he's in space. This which is, is so awesome. <laughs> but Beautiful. It- Ace reveals his plan. They're going to tow this space iceberg back to Y7Y and crash it right into that Jacker base. It seems like a good idea, I guess. Why don't the, uh, three the, guys just take on a whole base of dudes? The uh, the crew of the ship is in full-on here-we-go-again mode. Just Next time, <laughs> the Sluiceburger Solution. Great job, guys. <laughs> just some yeah, good... Good action and fun stuff going on in uh, Ace Trucking, man. Everybody's having fun. We're seeing some crazy aliens. You know, what's not to like? That's what I say. I'm always into, like, the, the you know, it's a group of people working together, but they're always down on their luck. Like, yeah, definitely. Because their scores never work out kind of thing. And, like, this definitely has that, that good feel to it, especially now where he's just a crazy person. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. Always, this Ace Trucking stuff is great. I'm really, it's really right out the gate, a really fun thrill. Yeah, good work, guys. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, uh, you know, more random adventures, Fox. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's go to... Thrill 2 Future Shocks. No good. So, a Future Shock Fox is a self they're a series of self-contained science fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that they often have like punchlines or groaners at the end. They're <laughs> home to ridiculous plot twists and silly puns. Yeah, really just like filler. But it's sometimes really great and sometimes just the worst. There's a huge amount of variance between the best Future Shock and the worst Future Shock. Oh, um, God. Almost all the Future Shocks this week, are, or, or this month, I should say, January 82, were written by future comic book legend Alan Moore of like Watchmen, V for Vendetta, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen fame. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're interested in the Alan Moore timeline... Um, as he's doing this work in 2000 AD, I believe he's still working on Captain Britain for Marvel UK. And in March of 82, he'll begin working uh, in a Warrior comic, which is sort of a little bit more grown-up version of 2000 AD, I think. Um, which is where he'll do, like, Marvel Man and V for Vendetta and stuff. Is, is Captain Britain different than Union Jack? Yes. Okay. You son of a I, bitch. Uh, <laughs> just making sure, because that's, like, confusing as all fuck. There's a couple, you know, I mean, there's a couple different, you know, British guys. I think Captain Britain has some Camelot-based stuff, but then uh, I mostly okay. know him as the, uh, as, like, the leader of the Excalibur team from sort uh, of yeah. the 80s and 90s, you know, from <clears throat> Lighthouse with Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler and all those guys. Uh, Conrad knows a lot more about comic books than I do. If you haven't found that <laughs> Confirmed nerd, folks. Um, anyhow, time for a bunch of future shocks all at once. Oh, man. Listen for our distinct future shock sound effect. Oh, what could it be? Anyhow, for, first up, a second chance. Script robot Alan Moore. Art robot Jose Casanova. Letting robot Jack Potter. All right. 
<laughs> what happens when the whole world gets a blown up? Yeah, this is just the first couple of <clears throat> two, or this is one of many two pagers. Uh, this the the art by Jose Casanovas, who draws a pretty awesome nuclear devastation. And from the rubble crawls the last surviving human, a guy named Adam. Eventually, he finds another survivor. It's the last uh, surviving female, and it's a lady. Surely, they're meant to repopulate the human the human race. He's Adam. What's your name? Mavis. Bam, bam, bam. This this was the joke. Like that was the like really. I, I was so confused at the end of this. I was like, that can't be like the joke. And then I flipped the page, and that was the it was the yeah, end. That's, that that is the joke, absolutely. Yeah, not yeah. Adam and Eve, Adam and Mavis, buddy. All right. Um, we all know it's Amtrak and Eve. Thank you very much. Um, oh God. Uh, the other <laughs> the other uh, future shock in this first prog is a uh, super bean and like Barney sort of and like the uh, the 2080.org sort of prog thing marks this as a one off, but it's a future shock if you ask me. Oh, uh, big time. Script robots John Wagner writing as Quirks 4. Art robot Mike Mick McMahon, lettering robot Steve Potter. So, uh, Fox, in our December 1981 episode, I wondered what the hell was going to be in Prague 245, and I guess this is it. Uh, <laughs> they, like, uh, it's weird. Yeah, it's so it, bizarre. It's Super Bean. He's a giant hair corvée that uh, keeps a secret identity as a vegetable inspector at a food canning plant. But he fights crime on the side, I guess. And he oh. has a human suit where his, his the zipper for his human suit is underneath his hair. And goes right down the front of his face. So it's a yeah, hidden it's, zipper, which is pretty good tailoring, I gotta say. Um, super gross. When an out-of-control plane threatens the plant, however... Ken Clarkie is forced to reveal his identity to save Lola Lewis, his co-worker. Who's kind of a whatever. I don't know. Weird character. Yeah, everybody's very British and ugly in this thing. Uh, She goes (laughs) to thank him. Super Bean is accidentally knocked into the veg slicers. Which, man, it seems like there should be a guardrail there, buddy. That's all I'm trying to say. What, uh, you don't have just a giant open door above a huge knife pit? I feel like I try to keep my knife pit like fairly safe. I don't want people accidentally fall in there. Not these guys though, because Super Bean falls in and he's cut up into beans for human consumption. And then we get a moment to talk to the writer of this, uh, the so-called writer of this story, uh, Quirks for the fourth, who is some sort of a uh, radish man and yep. just wants us to know to be cool to vegetables. I say no. Based yeah, on uh, the upcoming future shocks we're going to read this month. Oh, fair. <laughs> so, next up, it's a twist ending. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot P- Paul Neary, letting robot Tony Jacob. A this radio. sufficiently creepy. Yeah, this is good. A radio host goes to interview a science fiction writer, uh, finding him tacking away on a typewriter. The. Uh, the writer has written a lot of books that I'm learning ha- were, in fact, very popular in this era of England, which is really? where sort of something that is benign suddenly becomes murderous and l- large murderous and in great quantities. <laughs> All right. Like, uh, you know, Night of the Crabs, Rats, uh, there's like a Day of the Slugs kind of thing. It's a lot of these <laughs> okay. sort of sort of actual things. They're just sort of pulp science fiction novels. From sort of right. 80s Britain. And if you read them, you know it because they're very British and they're like, you know, like, oi, I popped down to shops. Um, 
But this guy's written a bunch of books like The Day of the Giant Raccoon and Attack of the Killer Pizzas. Apparently, these stories are really realistic and innovative, and people have theorized that the writer must be some kind of alien in disguise, and the reporter intends to prove it by jumping on him and trying to pull off his mask, but it doesn't work. He's just got an actual face, like like a dude. He's just like, okay, see ya. Yeah, the reporter leaves shamefaced. Well, he he was a nutter, wasn't he? My buddy, the sentient alien talking typewriter. Creepy. It's He's eyeballs not the alien like... his writing equipment is. Bah, bah, bah. Yeah. Bah, bah, bah. It's <laughs> creepy weird. Yeah. Next up is Salad Days. Script robot Alan Moore. Art robot John Higgins. Letting robot Jack Potter. So, it's first contact time, Fox. Oh, man. I'm going to meet these aliens. It's a big deal. Uh, yeah, a bunch of soldiers are waiting for him to show up. One officer talks to another about how he he's recently become a vegetarian. Just put a put a pin in that. Anyhow, <laughs> should we be worried about these aliens being hostile, Fox? No way, man. Uh-huh. They're here for humanitarian reasons. Oh, the aliens land, and sure enough, they're a bunch of crazy vegetable monsters. With massive teeth and huge mouths. Yeah, they immediately attack and start eating everybody. But wait a minute, I thought you guys were humanitarians. That's right, we only eat humans. Whoa, because oh. vegetarians only eat vegetables, you see what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That really, stupid. that really undoes the story from uh, Super Bean. Because I don't want to trust these vegetables, man. They're going to pour like 10 pounds of salt on my head and then eat me. That, there's so much salt. We're already pretty salty, man. It's true. Listen, well, I mean, sometimes you got to salt your salty stuff, man. I had like some, some uh, french fries once and they were not uh, salty enough. Oh, Cocos. That's mean, what we call chips here in America, listeners. Uh, yeah, I mean, unsalted <laughs> chips, frites. French fries, whatever you want to call them. I mean, that's like a crime. You should go to like like potato jail. Yeah, potato jail forever. (laughs) Next up, (laughs) Horn of Plenty, script robot Kelvin Gosnell, art robot John Higgins, lettering robot Peter Knight. It's a Joe Black adventure. Oh, he's back. Yeah, Joe Black, star scout for the Planetary Exploration and Survey Trust, PEST. And he's got a bunch of misadventures on the outskirts of known space. You're in these future shocks. We see him every now and then. Today he's, he's not just, exactly the nicest dude. He's like, but you know, you know he's, he's all right. He's eager to, um, you know, get rich quick and not have to be scouting everywhere. It's, it's you can empathize with his plight. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So he's a he responds to a distress signal from a guy with the crashed ship. He asks Joe to recover the ship from the bottom of a, of a canyon. And he'll give him a mind you, Joe, Joe was like, I'll just give you a ride and we can leave. And he's like, nah, man, I really, really want this ship. Yeah. Joe like, makes his way down. It. Yeah. It's, you know, the, these guys, whatever. Joe agrees. He makes his way down. He's got to fight off some angry birds and some mass, massive skeletons or scorpions, yeah. I should say. He gets into the ship and he finds that it's full of like art and treasure and stuff. Pretty cool. Yeah, the man explains that it's all thanks to the, this device he has that can make a copy of anything. Uh, for his reward, Joe, of course, asks for the device. The man yeah, agrees, wait, but first he makes a copy of the machine for himself. And this fact, combined with the fact that it can't actually make copies of like precious metals or anything like that, just sort of objects, means that you can't really get rich using it. Huh. Be- because you can't sell the device because it can just make uh, copies of it. So, like, whatever. Um, and so you sell it once and then someone, and then everyone else can go into business, you know, selling the device themselves. 
and you can't sell like you can't you can't really use it to make forgeries because you know whatever the people will, will notice that there's forgeries all over the place and stuff like that you get in trouble yeah, exactly well it's like you can't really mass produce the things what you want to be or, or at least you got to quit early like make yeah. a killing and then just run yeah but so basically in the end joe decides that while he can't get rich off the machine there's one thing it can do and that's make infinite cups of excellent coffee and sometimes that's just enough bam 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 Right. Damn fine coffee in the future. Anyhow, <laughs> finally, our final future shock, the beastly beliefs of Benjamin Blint. Oh, man. Uh, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Eric Bradbury, lettering robot Peter Knight. Very uh, classic style future shock here. Oh, yeah. Very Twilight zone A man is seeing a psychiatrist and explains that he's constantly seeing gross alien monsters in his daily life. We see flashbacks of a man and a gross monster sort of both reacting to each other, being freaked out. Uh, tellingly, we don't see the faces of the uh, patient or the doctor until the end when it's revealed that, in fact, both the psychiatrist and the patient are gross alien monsters. And he's been freaking out because he's been seeing humans. Oh, humans are gross and ugly to him. A regular looking monster, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this is That's, fine. You yeah, know. it was all right. I mean, it's, it's very, same. it's very a Twilight Zone pig person episode. You know? Yeah, exactly. Close up on the nurse with the nose. Gotta see those hands. Just hand focuses for most of it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It's all like people hands and like. Well, like in this case, it's all just like sort of like disembodied or bodies with no faces and stuff like that. You know, just to keep yeah, the keep the ruse alive. And you know, I think two pages is fine for this. Like, you know, it goes about like a, like, like three pages. You get some good, uh, human monster freak out pictures and then it sort of gives up the game. And that's good. You know, you don't want to go too far with this stuff. We've, we've definitely had longer future shocks where we're just like, all right, we get it. Mm hmm. Yeah. A lot of future shocks this month. Man. Jesus. Uh, yes, it makes you know. sense its own category. FYI. Totally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, future shocks are live. There's six of them. Um, <laughs> But that brings us to one last semi-future shock thing, Fox. Yeah. And that's Thrill 3, Abelard Snaz. Man, oh man. This one, I liked this a little bit. Yeah. When we get there, I just, I love Thoth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so script robot Alan Moore, art robot John, Coop, John Cooper, lettering robot Tony Jacob. So yeah, so also created by Alan Moore and future preacher artist Steve Dillon, Abelard Snaz is a super genius mutant with a second set of eyes above the normal eyes and an incredible <laughs> mental ability. Uh, recently, well, within reason. Yeah, you know, he has, he, he's an idea man. I think we can all agree with that. <laughs> Recently, he's been sucked into a black hole. It involved him being the god of a bunch of spa of depressed space Vikings and running afoul of some very polite worms. Don't worry about it. And now <laughs> he's stuck in the complex bureaucracy of the world that exists beyond the black hole. There's an alien working at a desk. He's assigning people to their future destinations because of the nature of his previous job, that being, of course, God to a bunch of depressed Vikings, he's assigned <laughs> to the twilight dimension of disinherited deities and is warped there as such. As lady behind him, named Amelia, er Amelia Earhart, comes up to the desk. Ooh, throwback yeah. to old shit. Yeah, she's going to be sent to a beach full of coconut crabs, I guess. But, uh... <laughs> 
Snaz finds himself in a misty realm full of old gods, including the hyperlithbing Thoth, uh, Odin, and Zeus. I I love they just really go full out like we're Guth, really. Yeah, well, it's because Thoth, Thoth had an Ibeth head, so really messed up his ability to speak correctly. You know what I mean? So it, when Zoe so talks through the entire thrill, just like this. Ah, it's I've I've heard worse speech impediments in the course of 2000 AD. Hi oh. Oh man, let me tell you, I can actually read what he's saying. Ah, so uh, Walter. Yeah, the gods are all bummed out because no one worships them anymore, and they're all real bored and depowered. But Snaz has an idea. Yeah, he always has an idea. Yeah, these guys, he sees big robots. They're going to head off to a nearby <laughs> civilization, in this case those geezers near Ursa Minor, I guess, and offer their services, not of gods as not as gods of boring things like the sun and the moon, but of all new cool things, like being the god of arcade games, health food, <laughs> discos, even romance novels. Hey, why not? Sure, why things- not? Yeah, things are going great until old habits re- rear their ugly heads, and suddenly Ares is asking for blood sacrifices for aid in games of Space Invaders, and people <laughs> are being killed in the name of Demeter so that she'll grant them big savings on granola. Uh, Snaz <laughs> argues against this, but the other gods are actually pretty stoked about it. You know, the good old days are back again for messing yeah, with their good time. Blood sacrifices. Yeah, hey, listen, listen, buddy. I've never had a blood sacrifice done to me. I don't want someone to do a blood sacrifice to me, but it does sound like it could be cool. <laughs> Can't um, have both. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, for uh, for messing with their good time, they uh, the gods say they should be chained to the Rock of Eternity, which is a big Rubik's Cube, I guess. Oh, yeah. If he solves the puzzle, he'll be saved. Otherwise, he'll be contemned to solitude for eternity. The only catch is, though, is that once Abelard Snaz shows up there, it turns out that this Rubik's Cube is like a mile long on each side. Yep. Doesn't really know that he's even on it. Right. He just sees a bunch of flagstones. He's like, all right, where's the cube? Anyhow. Let's do it. Abelard Snaz will return in March of 1982. So pretty soon. Oh, nice. I, I like these little Abelard Snaz vignettes, man. He just, just kind of shows up and has a misadventure, you know, doesn't overstay his welcome or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And they're pretty funny. Yeah, definitely. Hey, speaking of the opposite of just a, a one-off that shows up every now and then, Fox. And something that's definitely not funny. Thrill for Judge Dredd. God, the Apocalypse War picture for this is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover, art robot Carlos Escara, writing <gasps> robot Tom Frame. Tom Frame, Anyhow. you're so cool, but now it's Carlos Escara. It's time to be an art guy. Man, I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. It looks great. Respect the badge. He earned it with his blood. Fear the gun. Your sentence might be death because I am the law. Beautiful. Don't you fuck around no more. I am the law. <laughs> so, <laughs> Judge Dread time, buddy. Uh, yeah. This is the first chapter in the Apocalypse War mega epic storyline, Fox. It'll see Dread, the 21st century future cop, in a future United States of Mega City 1, go up against East Meg 1, the heart of the Sov block. Oh, they're man. They're future communists and they're real bad. <laughs> they're not... Here to be nice, they're here to shoot a bunch of nuclear weapons mm-hmm. at you. 
I'll say just to remind everybody, you know, 2080 Judge Dredd is a mix of the two movie versions. Usually he mm. takes down perps and all that stuff, keeps the citizens of Mega City 1 in line. Mega City 1, of course, being the huge megalopolis, basically covers the entire eastern seaboard of the United States into Canada, including like parts of Chicago and like Michigan and like a uh, mainland Michigan, not the UP. <laughs> but. Today, things are going real bad. The city's been paralyzed by block mania and artificial madness that causes the citizens to fight amongst each other in a massive all-against-all civil war. But even that turned out to just be a diversion for an attack by East Meg 1, which begins now! Oh, God, and it's not looking great. <laughs> like you said, Fox, this opens with an, uh, an incredible flash uh, splash screen by, or page by Carlos Escara that just has dread looking tore up with like a big rifle in one side and then endless ranks of East Meg 1 judges and a bunch of the generals in charge of them and all the planes. You know, the two sides are separated by a huge mushroom cloud. Oh, it's just super awesome. God, just nukes raining from the sky. Different we, types of bums, too. It's like, uh, what the fuck? It's real, real great. Um, <sighs> Sets the stage. Definitely. Because like, this was the cliffhanger for December. Yeah, because December ended with sort of block mania ending and the apocalypse were about to start. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we cut to the Kremlin where the East Meg Dictorat... Um, puts the final plans of the Apocalypse War into action. Supreme Judge Joseph Bulgarin presses the button to begin the Apocalypse. And then Thou- it's just this montage of like missiles yeah. and satellites. Thousands of nuclear missiles spew force, uh, spew forth as East Meg Space Forces wipe out Mega City One war satellites in, in space. Uh, Strato V assault craft destroys sunk skunk class nuclear submarines in the ocean and um dogfights break out as stre- as uh east meg plane as east meg bombers go up against mega city 1 h wagons and tornado bombs are dropped on mega city 1 missile silos just like holy shit the dictorat mo- the dictocrat moves to their su- their secure underground bunker to ride out the MC1 retaliation, which is surely forthcoming. Should they warn the people about it? What do they got to do with it, buddy? Yeah, it's just, what the hell? Back in, at the, uh, at the Mega City, back in Mega City 1, the retaliation is underway. Should we warn the people about the coming East Meg 1 strike? They're too busy with block wars. It doesn't even, there doesn't even, even seem to be a point to doing so. It's just both sides are effectively the same. It's kind of horrible. It doesn't. Yeah, it's an interesting thing of setting these two sides as not being too different, but one just deciding that they're going to take the other one out just because there's got to be one big kid on the block, you know? It's so weird. I like so dark. I love this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely, man. So the missiles are. Let, let's get to the end, and then, and then yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it a little bit. Uh, the missiles are raining down in Mega City One. Each single missile contains a hundred mini missile warheads. Each the what H the wagons and the city's defenses manage to take a lot of them down. Vape, baby, vape. But no defense is perfect. Always good, oh, man. I'm in favor of vaping. Um, missiles, at least. Um, but a solitary warhead makes it through the defenses and hits the the nearly rebuilt Bob Oppenheimer block 
which was destroyed way back in what was really the opening shot of this war when the mm. Pirates of the Black Atlantic, while being uh, manipulated by East Meg uh, spies, uh, lobbed a nuke at Mega City 1. Which, man, like, there's a guy who's on the scaffolding and he's like, not again, and then just <laughs> a giant mushroom cloud. Yeah. Other warheads that make it through, um, they might have been destroyed by sort of just Mega City One civil defense forces, but those are, of course, all now fighting the block war. Uh, yeah, I, that was actually really interesting that they mentioned that kind of like, that, so it's like even if like things were to get through, the whole point is that these uh, blocks would be a line of defense against. Yeah, I mean, each block is its own, is its own like, uh, is a city basically. Like they have like, mm-hmm tens if not hundreds of thousands of of inhabitants so just like in modern cities you know they might be like sort of um like you know like the police or other things like that that might be able to defend the city a little bit you know like big cities have like armories and junk like that just for that purpose um they'd sort of help out with nukes but now instead they're sort of using their like gravity guns to like direct warheads to like uh crappy districts like like, they drop them on like a skid row kind of area and stuff yeah, and you just watch it get washed in flame. It's horrible. Each, each warhead is a uh, is a one megaton warhead, which is fifty times the size of the bomb that that was dropped at Nagasaki. Anywhere Jesus. they hit, they cause massive damage in multi mile radiuses. You know, like five mile radius, just everything destroyed. You know, you got to be like, or maybe twenty kilometers, but still, you got to mm. be like a hundred. Ki- 100 km back to even just not be in the like you are about to die zone you know it's like insanity pure insanity man you know nuclear war is no joke man yeah yeah um well this is also during the cold war right yeah oh yeah uh, the 80s that's what i'm gonna yeah that's what i'm talking about at the end here Mm. Um, oh yeah no worries but most of the block maniacs barely even notice it mega city one is losing on all fronts but the mega city one counterattack is on its way several sectors of east meg of uh east meg one including the the, uh like saint peter's basilica and stuff are all wiped out over 7 million East Meggers are killed. However, this all seems to be part of the plan for the East Meg guys. Um, Joseph, meanwhile, Judge Bulgarin makes a deal with Texas City and Mega City 2. Basically, that the other Sov blocks won't get involved in the fight and the two American blocks must also not interfere. Texas and 2 decide on the better part of Valor and sell out the Big Meg. Cowards! Big time cowards, what the hell? With that secured, it's time for Operation Apocalypse to enter stage three. And they reveal that they plan to take on those two anyway at some point. Oh yeah, they're definitely like, yeah, once we get East, once we get Mega City 1, like, the, we're definitely going to take it around the rest of these guys, why not? Yeah, big time. You know, stand together or hang separately, buddy, that's the answer. Um, mm-hmm. Stage 3 involves setting off massive blasts all along the coast of Mega City 1, causing a massive tidal wave that completely destroys the eastern wall, its defenses, and drowns hundreds of city blocks. Which uh, leaves them with a huge, massive opening for uh, potential attack. Absolutely. Dredd and the Chief Judge and Chief Judge Griffin are surveying the damage in an H-Wag and its total destruction. Defenses are down, and now nukes are just sort of starting up. Nothing really to stop them. The H-Wagon with Dredd and Griffin is caught on the edge of a blast and loses control. The vehicle plowing into the side of the Betty Boot Block. <laughs> Dredd's arm is broken, and the only survivors are him... Judge Griffin, who's unconscious, and a red shirt judge named Judge Daly. Uh, 
unable to reach uh, Central for pickup. Dread carries the Chief and, um, as he and Daly head down, and they'll have to fight their way through the block maniacs of Betty Boop. Jesus. Daly quickly succumbs to the Boopers, jumping on a hand grenade to save the Chief, the chief Judge. Yeah, Dredd, what the hell? Dread guns the rest of them down, basically just drags the Chief Judge through the hallways. <laughs> After he kills like 20 dudes, no one really stands in his way. just makes it on sheer force of personality. <laughs> Judge Dredd is not to be fucked with. Yeah, he's literally Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> so as uh, eventually he finds an undamaged skimmer and makes his way to, to the Justice Department command bunker as East Meg warheads continue just to fly through the sky. Griffin's taken to a med bay as Dread and his arm are healed up as they walk, as he walks to a central command. Apparently, he's the most senior judge available, and like all the members of the council are either missing or dead, so it's up to Dread to negotiate with Bulgarin. God. The East <laughs> Meg. It's crazy. Yeah, the East, the East Meg chief demands surrender, and just to silence any doubts of their total superiority, he tells Dredd to watch the monitors as a saturation bombardment of nukes is fast approaching the south sector of Mega City 1. So, basically, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, you in danger, girl! It's a total nuke out! Yeah, man, not great. But, of course... Elsewhere in this city, we do a hard cut to one of the coolest songs I've ever seen written. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. As the nukes fly towards the south, sent to uh, the southern parts of the city, it's time to break out your banjo and start singing the Apocalypso part. Dude. Part Calypso, all apocalypse <laughs> until the bombs land. Everything south of the thirty-fifth parallel, which is basically the southern border of Tennessee, if you're um, in- interested in American geography, Fox. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is completely wiped out. Oh. No more Mega Miami or nothing like that. 150 million people dead. Which, holy shit, where are we going to get really great Cuban sandwiches and uh, go to some really cool nightclubs? Nope. Yeah, it's all gone. <laughs> the entire SEC football program wiped out in a minute. Oh. <laughs> Even people in even hardened veterans of the command bunker start to freak out, which means Dredd's got to, of course, beat you up and then send you away. Bulgarin demands that Dredd surrender, but Dredd will have none of it. It's like, what the? What do you think? Yeah, no. <laughs> Instead, he activates the last resort. He fires off a salvo of 25 TADs, the most powerful weapon that Mega City One has. Total annihilation devices. <laughs> Yeah, they just got their, they got the polo, they got the uh, collar of their polo shirt popped. They're ready to party. (laughs) With ultimate, (laughs) Tad, man, with ultimate retaliation in the air, Dread checks in on Griffin, and in East Meg 1, they spring into action, draining the power supply of the whole mega city, and then channeling it into an ultimate defense, the Apocalypse Warp! Which, what the hell? It's a huge force field that covers the entire city as the Tads impact and disappear. (gasps) Next episode, Earth Shatter. Man, I don't know what's going to happen. It sure seems like there's still, you know, I mean, future sight. Uh, I'm in 1982. Sure seems like there's going to be some more of this Judge Dredd, but oh man, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like like you said, like, man, this is just really drawing on sort of the renewed Cold War paranoia that I feel like got got kicked up in in the early 80s, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Like, I feel like there was a point where people felt like they weren't going to be nuked in any minute, but that sort of got reawakened around the, around this time. And it's really yeah. playing on those fears of talking about nuclear first strikes and retaliations and stuff like that in a very interesting way of sort of addressing the present by sort of setting it in the future and stuff. And then showing all of it potentially happen as, like, right. cities are just exactly. Left. And then I think oh, it, this also does what, what, what I've heard is an interesting job. There was just sort of a decision that Mega City One was kind of too big. Like, mm. it just had so many people and it covered so much space that it was sort of unwieldy for telling stories and stuff. Mm. So part of this is sort of a general plan of like having a reason to say why Dread could have gone to Mega Miami previously, but why that's no longer the case. I see. As we see here, we're basically just lop off the bottom half of the city. Oh, that's fucking terrifying. Just kill this many people. I mean, you know, they aren't real people, dude. It's fine. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's super amazing. And just this, like, you know, always with these stories, you want it to be real dark in the opening. And, you know, we haven't even really gotten to the sunken depths of what of what the bat of what the opening of the apocalypse war is going to be oh, you know sure. you know the land war starts next month that's what i'll say that's <laughs> terrifying yeah and speaking of exciting prog developments fox oh yeah non-thrills covers the nerve center I hate you. Uh, always. So although Rogue Thark's pretty great, I love his uh bra. He's got like yeah, well I mean Rogue Trooper's got like that weird like backpack thing just from Bagman and stuff. Oh sure. So Prog two forty five, press the button, let the apocalypse begin. Oh, uh, space spinner favorite Carlos Escara signals the start of the apocalypse war. Target Mega City One. I love the skull in the background with just the totally mushroom cloud for eyes. Mm-hmm. In the Nerve Center, Rogue Tharg is amused by our concept of calendars and has one printed at the end of the prog. There's a picture also of a cool Roxorian warrior, letters asking for the return of Blackhawk and or Wolfie Smith, asking Nemesis's Whoa. gender, double-checking the names of the megacities, and counting coat hangers, which we learned in a previous story, are in fact uh, evil aliens hell-bent on world conquest. Uh, <laughs> also, shout-out to the ill dad of David Murford of Belfast. Get well soon, David's dad, 36 years ago. Um, oh. Man, if that guy died, I'm going to feel like a real asshole. I'm going to say that. Um, I hope mid, not. Mid-prog friendly editorial droid Rojaws announces his films of the year for 1981. Raiders of the Lost Ark gets the top spot, followed by Flash Gordon, Superman 2, and Clash of the Titans. I don't know if I'd put Flash Gordon above Superman. That's a bold choice for sure. I could see why you would pick it in the in the moment, though. Like I feel like when, <laughs> but like no, because like I feel like sort of in 1981, Flash Gordon might feel like a bigger deal than Superman too. I don't know. Well, maybe I don't know. Like because I've seen Flash Gordon, it's all right. But I think also if you're like a sci-fi comic and stuff, mm, and maybe that yeah. might be a Britain versus America thing where Superman just means a little bit more for Americans and British people. That is maybe. very fair. I don't and know. Probably incredibly accurate. I mean, I don't know how much Flash Gordon's mean to British people, but whatever. <laughs> um oh mind you there was special mention of um so the stuff uh um conan the barbarian dark crystal and swamp thing dude and then tron they mentioned it at the very bottom conan the barbarian is dope dark crystal is amazing one of mm -hmm. jim henson's best products swamp yep. thing is weird 
that's those are all fair statements. Yeah, man, I love. Uh, I got a lot to. T- I, I got a lot to say about Conan the Barbarian that we don't have time for this week. It's all good. <laughs> um, we, at the end of the Prague, we get a uh, a preview of 1982, including the return of Robo Hunter in Britsit, the Apocalypse yeah. War, of course, and then mentions of both Prague's 250, which is coming up, and 2080's fifth birthday. Yay! As well as something called Project Triple X. What is Project Triple X? I have no, I have no idea. Meanwhile, there's also a calendar which features the top half of Judge Dredd and January through June, bottom half next Prague. Which you know, hey, uh, all right, yeah, Prague two forty six. Your bid, your bids, please for these fine young humans. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Zeus Redondo, dr- driving how, drawing how those aliens drove Tokamata crazy. Ooh. Oh man. Because find young cannibals? All right. Um, Find young humans? Yeah, you got it. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes I just got to make these jokes for me. Sometimes I'm just very proud of you. Uh, In the nerve center, Tharg Ross Ewing, which is the JR from the show Dallas, uh, welcomes (laughs) us back to our regular thrills and explains that Redondo is taking over for this chapter of Nemesis. There's... A picture of a cursed Earth Blam Blam tree, which has lots of teeth for a tree, and yeah. letters about bikes in Mega City One, compliments about Rogue Trooper, more requests for old thrills in the progs, and advice how to make a Nemesis badge using the cover of Prog 236. Sure, why not? Yeah. Mid-prog, we get the final report from 1981, the year of the alien, with some <laughs> sweet drawings by readers, some pretty yeah. good one, good ones, including, uh, the Ebony Warrior, possibly by future 2080 artist Stephen Pugh, Pugh. Mm. Um, so the one I like the most, of course, is the Trigan Parafreak by Duncan, by, uh, Duncan, by, by Duncan Griggs. Cause that guy's just a lumpy, heavily armed frogman. That's what I like. Right, he's got like a big gun, a cool backpack, a, a decent utility belt, and he's got interesting eyeballs, mm-hmm. big legs. <laughs> totally. This prog ends with a quiz matching weapons to 2080 heroes and the other half of the 1982 calendar. My brother was born on the second Friday of July that year, so shout out to that guy if you ever listened to this episode. Hey man, happy Mort's <laughs> Day. Exactly. Prog 245, a- uh, read by aliens across the galaxy. GBH beats up some sca- some scavies as Ace cheers him on with CB gibberish in this Belladonelli cover. <laughs> Pubble Gurney or we're scavy gravy in the Damn, nerve center. So it's crazy. In the nerve center, Throg explains the concept of the nerve center and demands more letters. There's one letter from a kid saying that a classmate says 2080 is a little kid's comic and not for Uh, 16-year-olds. Screw that, buddy. Man, that kid's uh, not smart. I would read this at 16. Hell. Yeah, why not? Another kid has a terrible sister named Susan. Get out of here, Susan! Mid-prog. There's a big feature about the revival of Thunderbirds, the 1960s-era like puppet-based action show that I think mm. most people kind of know as what's being parodied directly in a Team America World Police. Oh, There's, really? Yeah, because, you know, that's the same sort of like, here's a bunch of, pup- of a marionette puppets doing like action adventures things. I had no idea this was a thing. Oh, yeah, it's weird. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 
There's a uh, there's a bonus nerve center at the end of this prog where Matthew Smith of Bristol has written a poem and supplied a picture of Tharg the breakfast, which I think is pretty excellent. <laughs> now, I, I I I don't know if this is the same Matt Smith that would go on to become the current editor of 2000 AD. I'm going to assume that it's not just because no one talks about it, but the name is the same. Either that or, well, probably not the 11th Doctor, because I believe that he is too young to have written this in 1982. Um, there you go, fair. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, yeah, editor Matt Smith would have been nine when this came out, so the timeline is there at least. Mm. Um, this prog ends with part one of a two-page pinup of a giant 707 plane with a mounted oh, laser yeah. gun. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, 248, play ball! Brian Ballin steps in for a mean arena cover, showing all the members of the team laid out Brady Bunch style in the nerve center. <laughs> Tharg the Mekon. Yeah, listen, you know. Oh, it is. One's it is. in the middle is like uh, Janet the Maid, like looking around at everybody. Um, I wish they I wish they were all just looking at each other in different perspectives. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. In the nerve center, Tharg the Mekon explains uh, the concept of a of a Krill Tro Thargo, the extreme friend of Tharg. Letters of kids making friends at school with 2000 AD, disputes about the credits of thrills, and a kid being cured of hiccups by reading the Alan Moore Timothy Tate future shock the Fox likes. Well, uh, that that one's gross. Yeah. There's also a pretty good picture of a hundred cred note from Mega City One. And the prog ends with an ad for the upcoming RoboHunter story and another half page of the laser plane diagram and the text explaining it. It sounds kind of interesting, but I can't help but notice that 36 years later, we don't have a ton of laser-armed 707s <laughs> in our fighter squadron. So whatever. <laughs> Shooting oh, it right man. from the blowhole. It's a. It's like it's just a giant plane, and it's one hundred percent full of giant mainframe computers and stuff. You know, I, uh, like that entire plane would just be some dude on his laptop these days in terms of computing power. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Two forty nine. Dave Gibbons draws the menace of the Dreamweaver. <laughs> I was um, so excited for you to get to this portion. <laughs> Thrill power peaks with giant snakes and shit. Oh <laughs> man. In the, nerve, in the nerve center, the throt, the uh, Thargandonk, the based on the worm dude, his nemesis sidekick, complains about snow and stuff. Yeah, snow sucks. Yeah. Letters compliment Ace Trucking, call out a previous stat card saying that Matt Talon was 2.7 meters tall, which is real tall. And, oh, my. Whoa. And ask if Judge Giant is the same as the giant from the Harlem Heroes. And no, man, Judge Giant... Was regular giant son, dummy? Just, I mean, I know there ain't back issues, so it's a fair enough question, but... Get the net. This is why you print your back issues, motherfuckers. Mm. You know? Make an, make an anthology anthology. <laughs> Mid-prog, we get a bunch of readers suggested me in arena teams. I'd say the best drawn is probably the uh, Dagenham Dragons by Robert Barry, but I'm also pretty fond of the Ellesmere Port Elephants by Michael Owen. <laughs> Just because they're big elephants, I'm dudes. That's pretty awesome. I am going to say that for all of their um, bitching and moaning about where they can put color pages in these damn things, mm -hmm. they sure as fuck made a goddamn Airfix Lamborghini. We got to sell model. these ads, dude. Are you kidding me? Man, fuck that. Like, we got us to make this full color model car ad so we can get that money. All right. <laughs> 
That's how do you think we're gonna? Chatter. How are we gonna pay for these mega mega epics if we don't get money from these advertisements selling kids model cars? Well, fair, I guess, or stamps. <laughs> Twenty years from now, all these model car and stamp ads are gonna be for video games. That's what I'm telling you right now. <laughs> That's a, great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah, towards the end of the of the prog, Thar gives us a convention guide and a couple of reservation coupons so kids can subscribe to 2000 AD from their local news agents. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's okay. Anyhow, though, Fox, enough of this pause before there being great action, and instead let's just go to a whole story that's about action that's about to start in... <laughs> Thrill five, mean arena. Let's let's take take four issues to play the game of setup. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot Tom Tully and Alan Ridgway, art robot Mike White, letting robot Peter Knight. So it's England 2025, Fox, and the hot game is street football. It's a mix of soccer, rugby, and guerrilla warfare takes place in a <laughs> um in a like a square of emptied out city blocks where teams vie to score points. Blah blah blah. The greatest player of street football is Matt Talon, now a member of Slater's Slayers. Also known murderer. Yes, he's also recently been on a quest for revenge against a bunch of folks that he feels are responsible for his brother's death on the street football field. But he's recently said that he's given Which up that, that vendetta. Yeah, I mean, listen... <laughs> a lot of the problem with this revenge thing was that, like, they were based on his brother deciding to be crazy into street football. And, like, man, that doesn't seem very safe in the first place. I know. Like, uh, these doctors are pretty bad. I'm like, you mean the ones working on people who 90% of them have, like, a death wish? Like, all I right. think a real doctor would just say no one can play street football. <laughs> <laughs> right? Anyhow, we meet a bunch of uh, fresh recruits to the Slater's team, uh, only for a tough drill instructor slash coach Shulga to like basically just peg him in the face with uh, street football balls, and then make him go climb a yeah, then make him go climb a hill that's seemingly made entirely out of broken glass and metal shards. (laughs) It's so bad. It's like uh, my hands. Ah, God. (laughs) Yeah, Judy's like. The first 11 that get up there get to be in here, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and then Matt Talon goes on to say, well, because like some onlookers with him, like, man, he's really putting the spurs to him. And he's like, oh, my brother might still be alive if he got through this kind of training. You never know. It's like, come on, man. Man, like, enough of your brother already. Jesus. I thought um, you said you were this. Meanwhile, at Wembley Stadium, the host of most of the street football matches is announcing the draw for the second round of the Street Football Challenge Cup. Oh, man. Who's going to be matched with who? I'm so excited. Yeah. It's fun because most of these teams are all designed by readers, and they get a shout-out here as they get shown in the draw, and they win 10 pounds. Nice. Oh, damn. <laughs> Uh, these Slayers are put up against the Oxford Invaders, which were suggested by Philip Dooley. Nice one, mate. It'll be a home game, though, and the Slayers don't really have a home base. Luckily. <laughs> Just then. Yeah, our favorite Mean Arena character, <laughs> um, Rolo Hardy, leisure wear, uh, multi-billionaire, and known wheelchair-bound cyber goblin. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Has found a home base for the team, the quaint little town of Reading in England. 
Yeah, it's near Oxford, I guess. It's also spelled Reading Fox, but that's not how it's pronounced, dude. It's Reading. Just yeah, FYI. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're gonna I, play Monopoly. I was emancipated from that language a long time ago. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna play uh, Monopoly, and there's gonna be the re- and people are gonna call it the Reading Railroad, and they're getting it wrong. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, before the next match, we learn about some new street football gear. Town's got a new toy called the Sonic Blast Master, which can instantly which, collapse a whole building. This doesn't seem like a safe thing to give people. No. <laughs> With the big asterisk next to it being like, yes, you can destroy a whole building, but it's just for obstacles. I'm like, yeah. Well, no, obstacles don't you were go shooting that at people. Yeah. I mean, come on. But also, like, they have to pay to fix that house. Like, not mm-hmm. the team, but, like, the NFL equivalent. Yeah. The FIFA equivalent. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a lot of... They just, like, let them do that. Adds up, I guess. Meanwhile, other players are waiting to try something called a last stick. And we learn that the invaders um, have a guy that basically just has a backpack-mounted mortar that's served by the other team members that it can just load up and fire it from his back. Man, that just... For just clearing terrain or whatever, you yeah. know? <laughs> These guys are wusses. Uh, this... <laughs> Um, the Slayers prepare to move to their new hometown at Reading, and their opponents are already on their way, and whoa, they're super ugly zombie alien guys. Yeah, they get real weird, apparently had plastic surgery to scare the shit out of people, and man, effective. Totally. I'll also say, Fox, that this Prog 247 is the final one that Tom Tully will work on for 2000 AD. It's his last Prog. What? Yeah, besides oh. besides Mean Arena, he also wrote for like Harlem Heroes, Inferno, Wolfie Smith. He did the Amnesia storyline for Dan Dare. You know, a mixed bag, I guess we could say. Yeah, it's, it's I still was about pretty to good. Say. Yeah, yeah. I think he'll continue working on Roy of the Rovers for a little bit, doing more straight sports comics and stuff. You know, Tully was always sort of the member of the old guard, I'd say, of, of comic writers. Like, and you know. If you read, like, histories of 2000 AD, they always sort of call out Tully as being sort of this older style that sort of, you know, just sort of wrote to keep the plot moving along just barely. And, like, you know, they sort uh, of, you know, kind of give them the business a little bit when you if you ask, like, you know, other writers from 2000 AD about Tom Tully, they usually sort of make fun of him a little bit, you know. Okay. I mean, you know, mixed bag. I, I good yeah. good on you for your Harlem heroes. Yeah, I don't know if he deserves all that. I feel like there can be sort of when you read these things, there are yeah. definitely like some cool kids and some uncool kids in the course wow. of these two thousand eighty histories that are become clear once you sort of read it from enough perspectives. You know what oh, I mean? absolutely. I mean, I don't want to read trash. Anyway, go on. That's fair. Anyhow, uh, the invaders have all had extensive plastic surgery to make them look like gross alien dudes. Now they're stalking the streets of Reading, casing the place in advance of the match. And hitting on some ladies while they go. Always. The Slayers are doing the same. Uh, as Matt Talon hangs out at Forbury Park where the Slayer's goal will be built. And I got to say, these next two comics basically feel like they were written by the Reading Chamber of Commerce or something. Just because <laughs> they're full of like landmarks and info dumps about Reading locations and their history. Like, you know, like, oh, yes, in the park, the, they're making the goal. It's going to be a replica of the Reading Bandstand where the national song competitions are held every year. Like, yeah. what? And they're taking down the gazebo. And there's a lion that they had to put a mesh net over. Not the gazebo. Where will I hold my local D&D games? Um, I'm like, what the fuck, buddy? What? (laughs) 
And talent, yeah, talent's hanging out with Chip, his robot bodyguard, like quote unquote disguised as a nine year old boy. And I'm Uh, putting that in quotes because a grown man hanging out with a nine year old all the time seems pretty weird to me. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) like they could have your son or some shit. I don't know. Or they could have easily just made it a lady. You know, Uh, like he's dating somebody. You know. Anyhow, Chip springs into action to knock Talon clear of a sniper blast. The shooter escapes, much to the consternation of Talon. Later, we get a demonstration of some new gear, the laser stick, which also blows up buildings pretty easily. A lot of building blowing up um, tools in this uh, street football metagame. <laughs> man, and they're just like showing off like, man, isn't this like thing that looks like a radio tower fucking cool because it blows up buildings? Mm-hmm. Matt's just like, oh, just don't shoot people with it. They're really nailing in the don't kill people, which makes me think people are just going to die. At this point, we shift just sort of the next, like basically the next prog and a half are like, whoa, it's super crowded as everybody rolls into Redding. Whoa, big fight feel as we get get ready for this match. Oh, man. Look at all this stuff happening that you can't see, I guess. Buying expensive um, places to watch the match, be, uh, illegal match watchers being flushed out of like the tops of skyscrapers and stuff, or falling off of them into nets. People who live in the game area being uh, being told to leave, and you know if their stuff gets destroyed, they'll be fully reimbursed and stuff. I think there's still one person left in the playing field who can defend his property with lethal force if he wishes. You know, mm-hmm. they aren't making a- as big a deal out of that as they are, um, like that last guy that killed Jaws Jensen in a previous game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, I mean, splitting hairs here, that was definitely a purposeful thing. <laughs> well, I mean, while Talon didn't place that dude there, he did definitely cause Jensen to make his way there and thus engineered this old guy killing his uh, revenge target. Because. You know, that Matt Talon, real interested in killing his revenge target, but mostly in having other people kill his revenge targets because... Culpability, I guess. He's just an evil guy, but has a weird (laughs) sense of honor about it, I guess. Anyhow. And then then yells at people in the stands because of their bloodthirsty... Real high and mighty for... Real real high and mighty as his murder plans are being carried out about people shouting about uh, their street football fandom. Like, mid-revenge, real indignant, you know? (laughs) God. Anyhow, enough of our continued problems with me with me and Arena. Um, the game's about to start. We'll p- pick it up next week. Hooray! Almost to a bit uh, to a game. Wouldn't that be nice? Ugh. Anyhow, enough of these valleys, Fox. Let's get to some peaks with Thrill Six Nemesis the Warlock. God, I love Nemesis the Warlock. Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Jesus Redondo, letter robot Steve Potter. So, in the far future. Earth has morphed into morphed into the heart of a hate-filled empire fueled by desire to wipe out all aliens known as termites. The they're they're led in this by the evil Grand Inquisitor Torquemada. The resistance, a group called the Cabal, is led by heroic uh, dragon slash devil slash alien dude Nemesis the Warlock. <laughs> Ooh, it's so cool. It's possibly the coolest metal album that's ever been a comic book. 100%. Every every panel a metal album. Um. God, so great. And now it it 
takes on a look very clearly like, uh, you know, Return to Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which well, I yeah. like. All previous versions of Nemesis have been drawn by Kev O'Neill, but, you know, we saw last year in 81, he was really having trouble hitting uh, his deadlines and stuff. So for this book, they've brought in Jesus Redondo, who will, yeah, who again, will will remember as doing the art for the 66% amazing re- re- Return to Armageddon. <laughs> but, I mean, factually accurate. Yeah. yeah. I speak the truth, buddy. Um, but yeah, his, uh, his crazy ass art style is really appropriate for Nemesis the Warlock. You know, it's got a different look than O'Neill's, but I think it's still a very strong look for this series. Mm, yeah. Big time. I um, love the boat. Oh, yeah. There's so much to like, man. Um, <laughs> we start with, um, with an old guy still in prison in the alien jail. He's the guy that told us the story of the sword sinister back in the 1981 yeah. sci-fi special. And he was kind of left, d- d- didn't get taken with everybody else during the big prison break that we just saw. They Nemesis all forgot lead. him. It's a bummer, man. He's got a lot of arms. He's chained up to the wall. Knows a lot of stories. In this case, he tells the tale of Torquemada as a lad. The future Grandmaster joined an anti-alien children's crusade, but like the actual children's crusade in human history, it was the uh, participants were quickly sold off into slavery before getting to fight the unbeliever. So, what the hell? It's hard out there, man. Um, in a very Conan the Barbarian sequence, Torquemada is sold into slavery and spends a couple years toiling away. Eventually, though, he's, he manages to kill the manticore that guarded him and fight his way to freedom. Finds the guy who does it, and man. (laughs) He confronts the guy who sold him to slavery and then kills him using the very chest of riches that he earned selling Torquemada and his fellow crusaders into slavery. Smashes his head in it, like... God damn. It's cool. Yeah. He's, uh, it's here where he declares his lifelong vengeance against aliens and a quest that he followed until very recently because Torquemada is now dead because he died fighting M- Nemesis like two episodes ago, right? Yeah. Huh? Nah, buddy, Torquemada lives. <laughs> of course he lives. He's crazy. Well, kind of because he's rapidly, uh, he's a rapidly fading away spirit currently trying unsuccessfully to get the man painting his portrait on a on like a ceiling thing brother Rodrago to help him well he only has like three more years for it to be finished mm-hmm. it's not going well luckily a vestal vampire sister Alvit is walking by Torquemada begs her for help but she's currently being punished by the vampires so she has to lead a game of charades to finally get it all worked out. <laughs> it's so true. She's playing charades with everyone. This whole sequence was like, what the fuck? It's just to remind you that, like, you know, Nemesis has some real silly parts in here. And I think that's a real important part yeah. of Nemesis, you know? Um. So Alvitz then placed into a spirit generator and her body and life forces are sucked out and then transformed into a fully reborn Torquemada. He lives. Yummy neutrons. I'm totally normal again. <laughs> After some quick revenge on Rodrago, it's time for him to head out and begin the destruction of Nemesis and his cabal. God damn. <laughs> So awesome. Unaware that Torquemada is once again alive, Nemesis and the Cabal are fighting back against the forces of humanity. Death to the humans! Oh, dude, yeah, that's right. They're writing hippogriffs, and the other guys are writing fucking... 
dragons. We get scenes cool of sea battles. We get battles from all across the galaxy, multiple planets, as pipers play aliens to a mad frenzy on land. Terminator galleys are eaten by sea monsters in the ocean. And on the planet Garuda, where hippogriff knights face off against fire drake riding terminators in the air. So fucking cool. Midair jousting is so cool, dude. <laughs> dude, you just get stuck. You get fucking stuck, and mm-hmm. they're losing real bad, these humans. Yeah. At the forefront of this fight is Nemesis and his human ally, Purity Brown, recently sprung <laughs> from the alien prison. Love that her name's Purity. Yeah, the fight is going bad for the Terminators, but the Sin Ishal refuses to surrender. <laughs> because he knows the terrifying weight that awa- fate that awaits human prisoners of the Cabal. Yeah, so it's a fuck, he's going to do that. The war on Garuda reaches ahead as Nemesis shows down with the Terminators and some awesome aerial fighting, lots of hippogriffs and aerial midair acrobatics and stuff. Awesome sci-fi swashbuckling, even as the Grobendonk drinks the blood of defeated humans. And, and gets a stern talking to from Nemesis, yeah. like, hey, don't, don't be doing that. The war winds down, and eventually humans are forced to surrender. Or they just kill themselves. Yeah, the human commander commits suicide rather than be taken. Nemesis addresses the surrendering humans, but neither his yelling at them nor Purity Brown's earnest pleas sway their hearts. They're all just hateful machine people. Yep, they're off to the prison planet of Arachnos. By the way, their jailers will be giant arachnids. Yeah, down comes a gi- an awesome spider ship, and from it comes a giant spider jailer. It's spider time! Dude, I would never want to go to spider jail. That sounds like <laughs> the worst jail. Next episode, Punishment Planet. Oh, man. Oh, man. Nemesis, Nemesis buddy. Yeah. It just goes. It just keeps going. Just set spot. You got to strap yourself in and just get ready for this crazy sci-fi action, sci-fi sword and sorcery action. Yeah, it's real awesome. Very, very strong part of this comic for sure. Ah, man, I just, it's beautiful. I'm glad Kevin is getting a break from just drawing crazy shit. Yeah, he'll be back soon enough, you know. Oh, I figured just give him some time and reprieve in between, but like. But I think Redondo is really playing to his strengths doing this stuff. These big battle scenes and stuff. He does a really good job of them. Big time. And, you know, like, I, I, so yeah, it looks a little different, but I don't think that anything was really missed, and the story is still just so goddamn great. Yeah, I agree. Sky jousting. That's all I have to say. Forever and always. Let's go to our last thrill of the week, Fox. Thrill 7 Rogue Trooper. I'm going to get real computer, computerizations. Woo! Yeah. Script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robots Colin Wilson and Dave Gibbons, letting robot Bill Nuttall. So I, I liked I liked that trill that you did. That was that was great. Do my best, man. I don't know if I could do it again. <laughs> uh, so Rogue, he's a genetic infantryman, a lab-born super soldier designed to fight for the Souther forces against the evil Nords, who are these sort of space commie Nazis, for control of the planet New Earth and the wormhole that sits above it. Rogue is accompanied by his three fellow GIs, Helm, Bagman, and Gunner, who have physically died but live on as computer chips embedded in his helmet, backpack, and gun, respectively. Chips. <laughs> All the GIs except for Rogue died at a place called at a at a at an engagement called the Quartz Massacre, where they were sold out to the Norts. 
Rogue is on a quest to find the general that betrayed him and his friends and get revenge, but that's kind of a long-term thing, sort of a mm. Richard Kimball finding the one-armed man versus sort of the other <laughs> 150 episodes of The Fugitive that didn't really engage with that story. Oh. I mean, it's true, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Traveled around solving problems. Mm. There's So, there's a lot of weekly episodes, is what I'm trying to say, until they find the traitor general. Yeah, I mean, in a lasting way, I guess I should say. Today, Rogue is rolling into the town of New Hamlin, once a North stronghold, but now strangely deserted. While everyone in town appears to be dead, Rogue still comes under heavy fire from seemingly every corner of the city. He finds out that the whole place is one big computer-controlled booby trap. Oh, God, who could have set this up? Probably the guys that don't like us. Always the Norts, man. He can't just leave it like this to slaughter any incoming Souther troops, especially now that his uh, mad dash for safety has taken him to the control room of the system. Instead, he's going to hack the mainframe to shut it down. And the best way to do that is to insert the biochips of Helm and Bagman to interface with the systems, giant mnemonic style, while he and Gunner fight for their lives. And just really, everyone's just running. This is run the comic. It's time for some crazy cyberpunk action. But yeah, so basically, you know, the chips are fully realized inside the computer and Helm and Bagman make their way into the system as Rogue and Gunner in real life fight for their lives. I like that they're techno naked. They're definitely cyber naked. They got no junk, but they must scream. <laughs> um <laughs> references buddy dude i've got no drunk but i must scream that's great i mean yeah that's true generally um but so yeah you know listen the chips fight their way through this virtual world it's very sort of uh whatever reboot or whatever other thing you can think of (laughs) um things they did a tron it's yeah you know um in the end they managed to, to shut down the system just as Rogue and Gunner are about to be smushed by the command center. Okay. You know, that's sort of two progs of coverage, but I don't know. I didn't, honestly, like the way that they overcome things didn't make a ton of sense to me. And I don't no. think this is a super strong Rogue Trooper story, you know? So they used a subtract calculation. That's kind of what I got out of it. And like different things would happen, but it didn't super matter. It just kept doing quick cuts back and forth. And I feel like we're really, so yeah. I feel like the fact that this is written in 1982 is really hurting it. Like, we just don't have enough of a shared lexicon of computer hacking terms to, like, really fill in a story about this, you know? like It was interesting attempt. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just a little early for it because it's unlike, say, like the movie version of Giant Mnemonic or Hackers Mm -hmm. or something like that, where we kind of know a little bit more about computers and we can sort of talk about, like, you know, oh, there's viruses doing this and, you know, I got to shut down the mainframe core and blah, blah, blah. I fucking love Johnny Mnemonic and I also hate Johnny Mnemonic. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like the right, that seems like like the right opinion. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. But don't worry because Rogue Trooper does redeem itself because of psychedelic tanks. Uh A company of Souther Lazuka men are about to take down a Nord tank column when suddenly they're attacked by a giant spider. Or wait, it's a giant snake. Oh, no. Oh, wait, it's some hot babes. Well, I want to say when they're why when they're attacked by these giant monsters, they just don't shoot their lazookas at them is beyond me. But yeah, um, (laughs) they just got to be reminded they're tanks and then get destroyed to shit. 
Instead, everybody jumps out of their foxholes and runs gunned down instantly by Nort tanks. Uh, besides the monsters, there's also a, a chariot full of beautiful ladies that uh, call out to people with a siren song. And they get up to say hi to the ladies, take off their gas masks, and die in the deadly atmosphere of whoops. New Earth. Man, psychedelic tanks are real jerks. Yeah, finally, there's only one left. One man left. And he, too, is falling under the effects of this Nort weapon. Oh, the, God. Which we all know, of course, is called the Dreamweaver. Um, <laughs> Tell me you're going to do a cut-in for that. I mean, always. That's what I did when we fought uh, when we fought DWs in Blackhawk, buddy. Um, <laughs> so, but Fox, I said there was one trooper left, but that's not true. Because now there's the lagged Zuka guy and the rogue trooper. Oh, man. And... Even he's getting a kind of small hallucinations from this because mm-hmm. he's like, damn, they're really using a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But he tells the soldiers to stay cool because, by gosh, we're going to outthink these nightmare merchants next time on Rogue Trooper. Grim reality. I mean, that's just him, like, basically bragging that he's done acid. Like, that's not, you're not <laughs> impressive, man. You aren't cool. You just, that I, guy I went to summer camp with, Rogue Trooper. Uh, like, come on. Come on, dude. Like, just chill the guy out. This is his first yeah. time. He's going to see some giant spiders and some space babes, I guess. You're going to see some spiders and space babes in the course of your time on New Earth, buddy. And with that, I think it's time for the most important question. Oh, man. Fox, what were your top and bottom thrills for this? Dude. January 1982. So top is actually really hard because I love Judge Shred so fucking much, and I love Nemesis the Warlock so fucking much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you, like it's it's Judge Shred all the way. God damn, it was really good. Nice. It's hard not it's hard not to give it to it because this is like our first. This is us seeing Carlos Escaria for the first time since like the seventies. Definitely, like putting pen to paper for Judge Shred, which is. I mean, man, it's been too long, and like his time doing other stuff, I think, has actually paid off because he's man. It's like very intense looking. Um, Definitely, I think he's a fantastic artist, and that accompanied by one of the most horrific <laughs> five yeah. episodes of Judge Dredd that I think I've ever seen. Like, it's he does really a great, horrible. yeah. He does a great job bringing forth the uh, the terror and the horror of this of, of of this attack, and just the the cold way that both uh, the East Meg the East Meg and the Mega City One uh, uh, leaders sort of approach it and stuff. You know, yeah. there's both awesome action scenes and just like cold calculating, like pressing buttons and counting the costs uh, situations. It's really just. Man, it's dark and terrible. And man, for bottom, I don't know. Like, I could just say Future Shocks because they were dumb. They were, Mm -hmm. like, really, like, a lot of misses. But Mean Arena, you're on notice. Fucking, like, a jillion issues and and nothing's going on. Like, you can't be doing that about your dumb comic for sports books. Like, if you're going to drop the murder fun and then, like, not even have the sports ball, I don't give a shit about, I mean... Sorry to anyone who's from Reading. It's oh, like, damn. I don't care. I know. It's like, it's no, like me fair. telling you about Chico, California. Like, oh, man, we have an ice cream sh- shop where I was born. You know, it's pretty good. <laughs> That's fair. That's super <laughs> like, fair. Like, I don't know. All right, Conrad, how about you? 
Oh, Top man. Thrill, bottom thrill. Top thrill, Judge Dredd, buddy. No oh, yes, question. Solidarity. These thi- this is real, just high quality, you know, mwah, Judge Dredd. Um, mm, so these flavorful. early things, all these missiles coming out here, it's so good. It's so key for Judge Dredd stuff. And just Dredd getting on the phone with like Bulgarian and telling him to kick rocks and stuff. <laughs> Woo! Eat a, uh, eat a butt. Get out of my face. That's what I like. You know, I mean, we had all this like brinksmanship and we still had time for Judge Dredd to kill like 20 dudes in the Betty Boop block, you know? Like, we're hitting all the notes. <laughs> Dude, I love the red shirt guy. It was great. He's just <laughs> like, I guess I'll just jump on a grenade in the first yep. page. Mm-hmm. And then for me, bottom, yeah, man, mean arena, dude. You know, I feel bad sometimes when we sort of get a uh, a whipping boy uh, thrill like Mean Arena is right now. But you're I right. It deserves it. Like, they just spent a lot of time setting things up in Mean Arena. And it's just like, let's get to it, dude. You know. Like, I'm, I'm all we for, just, like, a setup. But, like, you don't need four or five issues for that, right? There was just a lot of stuff that felt like it could have been compressed a little bit more to actually get to the story. I'm um, hoping that once the match starts, things will speed up a little bit. Um, it definitely feels like they've tried to set up a lot of things, you know, like the weapons and stuff like that. Um, so I'm interested. If none of that pays off, dude. I will be yeah. so upset. Definitely ready to see how that pays off and how that goes forward. Um, I'm going to say also that, um, what, yeah, the future shocks weren't, weren't super great this year or, or this month, you know, not bad, but just very much sort of very twice, you know, sort of what I'm less interested in future shocks of just take up two pages to end in a pun. Versus yeah. maybe something that's a little bit more interesting or that's trying mm. a little bit hard to have sort of like a, a a real twist or a real story or something like that. Fucking hard agree. You know, just whatever. Well, you know, keep keep it. Let's just keep keep working on this stuff, guys. We got it. I, I believe in you. I've seen them do this right. So it's yeah. not like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's Beyond fine. That, you, yeah. Whatever. Beyond that, though, don't you know. It. Like dread, ace trucking, rogue troop. Oh, oh! I want to say also, I, I didn't like this. Uh, you know, you, you, you could tell from the re-back, the recap. I didn't care much for the rogue trooper uh, <laughs> cyberpunk story too. Yeah, that was bad. Nemesis, dread, ace. You guys are you just keep this up. Everybody else, I want to you know bring it up just a little bit, and that'd be cool. Yeah, this was like everyone was getting some A's and A pluses, and some of you were just getting C minuses. It's real bad. Maybe yeah. a D. Need some improvement, but listen, the year's young. You know, we got some rust. Everybody took some time off, so it's time to get back. Get back into it. Here we go. <laughs> Anyhow, place. yeah, speaking of not also getting rust off is uh, your Space Spinner 2000, boys. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Big man. break. Anyhow, I hope you Spacey. enjoyed it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com or on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, just look up SpaceSpinner2000. We should be there, buddy. Tune in next time as the Apocalypse War intensifies, the match in Reading takes on new dimensions, both Rogue and Nemesis uh, deal with prisons, and Ace Trucking gets involved in a space race. Oh, damn, yeah. Until next time, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Bundig, 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 Bundig. Bundig.